Hey, welcome back to Well That's Interesting. The I didn't think either of these were possible. I have to stop doing that edition. Today is episode 171. Elephants can hear with their feet. And woolly rhino genome reconstructed from poop. My friends. <laughs> you know we love a good surprise around these parts. From a parasitic infestation to black holes burping, it feels like fascinating stuff can be found everywhere you look. And it turns out, you could also find some amazing discoveries in places you wouldn't even think of, like the inside of an elephant's foot or inside a chunk of fossilized hyena poop. Yes, we will be doing that today. In the first half of the show, we're hopping on a plane to one of the largest national parks in Africa. And by large, I fucking mean it. This place is about the size of New Jersey. And it needs to be this expansive because some of the animals that call it home need to roam for their survival. One of those species, being the elephant, of course, who on an average day can walk up to 20 hours and well over 15 miles. And just like surprises, we fucking love elephants on this show. I mean, how could you not? In In Between 059, we learned that some Asian elephants in India eat charcoal left behind after forest fires because they figured out charcoal is known for its ability to bind with toxins and works as a laxative. <laughs> Look, everyone poops. And on occasion, we need a little help. And these particular elephants can self-medicate. Also impressive, in episode 121, we learned an elephant's trunk alone. An elephant's trunk alone has about 40,000 muscles. And if that sounds like a lot, you're right. Uh, for comparison, the entire human body has about 600 to 650. Yeah, but it didn't stop there. Researchers also found that on average, African elephants have 63,000 facial neurons, while their Asian counterparts have about 54,000. To put these numbers into context, our dumb faces have about eight to 9,000 facial neurons. That's it. Now, I know what you may be saying. Well, it's because they're fucking huge, Jill. Well, <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true, they are. But what if I told you their bodies are so sensitive because they are extremely attuned to their environment? The studies about this just keep coming. We're going to take a look at some pachyderm feet, and afterwards, you're never going to see them the same way again. Then after the break, we're taking a deep dive into some poop. <laughs> Specifically, some fossilized cave hyena poop found in Germany. And you may be asking why. Yes. Well, it's to get some answers on a species of woolly rhino, of course, which roamed Eurasia. For you see, my friends, genetic information on the European woolly rhinoceros has eluded us since its scientific discovery in the 1770s. So, one researcher... Well, they wanted to put an end to the centuries of mystery, and I'll have the honor of introducing you the European woolly rhino and uh, the quirky and genius way scientists went about finding the long-coveted DNA of this creature. We'll also get into what that DNA sample revealed, but in the meantime, I'm Jill Chacha, and if this is your first time listening, welcome to the flock, my non-cave-dwelling business goose. To begin... We need to scooch into the old time machine because we're heading on back to the early 1990s. And we've landed in some bushes. But don't worry, 
We're supposed to make that kind of landing. We're just outside the University of Hawaii, Manoa. And while most people are working on their tans or waxing their surfboards and other bits, Caitlin O'Connell Rodwell was working on her master's, which centered around plant hoppers. Now, these cicada-like insects communicate with each other by sending out vibrations over the stems of plants, a form of talking, if you will, that Caitlin called seismic communication. It was an impressive observation that earned her a degree in ecology, evolution, and conservation biology. It was a hit for sure, but shortly after, in the mid-1990s now, Caitlin dropped the bugs and burrowed farther into that last interest, conservation. And she wasn't alone in this noble cause. Believe it or not, my endangered business goose, the 1990s were hella focused on saving the Earth. In fact, it was in 1990 the United Nations published its first report on climate change, which warned that global temperatures might rise as much as 2 degrees Fahrenheit in 35 years. They recommended reducing CO2 emissions worldwide immediately. Spoiler, that didn't happen. And spoiler, that report was right on fucking target. It estimated that rise would occur in 2025. Turns out 2023 was the hottest year on record. Every month last year was warmer than its corresponding months over the last 125,000 years. <laughs> but back to the 90s where the U.S. did its half-assed part by passing the Clean Air Act Amendment to reduce acid rain, and in 1993, President Clinton signed an order restricting, but not stopping, logging in old-growth forests. That same year, he also signed the Don't Ask, Don't Tell policy, because what progress? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Caitlin wanted to make more of a change and actually save some lives. And boy howdy, she did. She landed a three-year government contract involving efforts to mitigate conflict between farmers and the African elephant. And because the universe is funny like that, two parts of Caitlin's life were about to merge. Quote, When she first observed elephants in Africa, she noticed how, like plant hoppers, elephants adopted recognizable listening poses. Standing still, picking up a foot, and pointing a toe at the ground were good indicators that new information was coming in. It didn't take me long to realize that they were behaving in exactly the same way, she recalled to kqed.org." My friends, Caitlin had a eureka moment. She believed the itty-bitty plant hopper and the 24-foot-long, 13-foot-tall, 11-ton African elephant had something in common. Seismic communication. Caitlin just had to prove it. Now, my succulent business goose, before we get into the groundbreaking study Caitlin performed, we gotta talk about feet. <laughs> Elephant feet. Because even the basics of their anatomy are gonna blow your human mind. And these basics are actually gonna help us understand how this seismic communication works. Okay, here we go. Fun fact number one. And a little hack. According to Kinsa Elephant Park, the circumference of an elephant's foot is roughly equal to half the height of their shoulder. The average elephant foot is around 40 to 50 centimeters or 60 to 20 inches in diameter. 
depending on species, that's pretty big. <laughs> 20 inch foot. God damn. Uh, fun fact number two, just like you and me, they have five toes. But the number of toenails vary depending on the elephant species as well. According to Eleanor Higgs of iflscience.com, African forest elephants and Asian elephants have front feet with five toes and five toenails each, while their back feet only have four toenails. African bush elephants have four toenails on the front and three on the back. Now, what's hidden behind these toenails, my friends? This is where the magic happens. Please head on over to our social media stuffs and tap on today's post and scroll on through until you come to a sketch of some bones. I'll give you a second. Wonderful. Now, if these bones look eerily familiar, you're right. They do resemble a human hand, but these, my friends, are the bones of an elephant's foot. Now, if you're too busy saving the earth yourself and can't reach for your phone to take a look, well, all you need to do is stick your hand in front of your face. Go ahead. You look great. Just do it. All right. Now, fantastic. Now, I'm assuming all your fingers are spread out and pointing up. Okay, now if you will, bend your hand at the wrist so all your digits are now pointing to the floor. Voila, that's an elephant's foot. And bonus points for anyone who touches the ground with their fingertips because that is how elephants walk. You heard me, on their fucking fingertips. <laughs> and if you're wondering, how in the holy hell 11 tons can be suspended on fingertips? That's a great question. I've got you. Okay, under your palm, I'd like you to imagine that entire space filled with a large clump of cartilage and fat, almost like you're cupping a basketball with your hand. And this acts like a shock absorber, helping support the weight of the massive animal above it. And uh, my friends, it also has one additional perk. When an elephant presses their feet into the ground, this big old ball of goo enlarges. It expands, making a foot that's already 20 inches in diameter increase in surface area by as much as 20% more. Each gigantic foot is now basically a huge satellite dish. Here's why. Quote, like all mammals, including humans, elephants have receptors called pacinian corpsicles, or PCs, in their skin. PCs are hardwired to the somatosensory cortex, a part of the brain where touch signals are processed. While their impressively large ears can pick up sounds from a considerable distance away, evidence suggests that low-frequency vibrations caused by other animals can be picked up in the pachyderm's foot pads and transmitted to their brain via bone conduction. With bone conduction, the vibration message travels through the elephant's skeleton directly to its inner ear bones, bypassing the eardrum altogether. Technically, when elephants hear through their feet, it's actually the touch sense that's being used. But a combination of this method and traditional hearing can help the elephants make decisions based on sounds." End quote. From both KYED.org and IFLScience.com. Woo! There you have it. My boisterous business goose, how elephants can air quotes here with their feet. But as you can tell, 
I got way fucking ahead of myself. <laughs> sure, we can now confirm that this is true, but we've got to talk about Caitlin's study and how she made this incredible discovery back in the late 1990s and early 2000s. So please, join me, will you, in a series of underground bunkers. <laughs> yes, pivot to underground bunkers along Mushara, a natural freshwater spring in Namibia's Atasha National Park. This is the place that's the size of New Jersey. However, Mushara, this spring, it's a poppin' with elephants. They love to flock to this water source. It's the place to be if you're a pachyderm. So Caitlin and fellow researchers didn't have to waste resources luring elephants or tracking them down to perform this study. The prides came to them naturally. Now, in the bunkers with us are a couple of loudspeakers and a video camera. And the same type of speakers are also above us. So why in the holy hell are we surrounded? You may be asking, that is a great question. Just as with episode 165, for some animals, a human voice is the most terrifying thing. Yes, it's true. Uh, we're gonna play some recordings and just see what the fuck happens. Quote, <laughs> Caitlin found that a predator alarm playing on an above ground speaker caused the herd to flee immediately. They responded quite differently, however, to the same call played underground. They closed ranks, but stayed put, end quote, from KYED.org. So, my friends, with sounds coming from above ground and audibly so close, the elephants just fucking booked it, leaving the area altogether. With sounds traveling through the ground, elephants recognized danger was in proximity but as to how close, they couldn't see, so an alternative defense was chosen. Don't scatter, form a massive cluster. Both strategies are natural elephant behaviors, thus showing that not only do they use their ears, but their goddamn feet. And get this, my attentive business goose, an elephant's use of seismic communication doesn't end here. Turns out it's got all sorts of uses. <laughs> now to explain, we're going to fire up the old tube of you, and uh, we're going to play a short video. If you'd like to watch along uh, and see some cute baby elephants, so yes, yes you do, all you need to do is uh, find the search bar and type in How Elephants Listen With Their Feet. Again, that title is How Elephants Listen With Their Feet, and it's a video by Deep Look. Okay, now let's see here. Um, looks like some of the info that you just heard is covered in this video, but there are a couple of delicious nuggets that I want you to listen to. You don't want to miss this. Uh, so I'm going to pull it up right here and we're going to have a listen to how else elephants use seismic communication. Thanks to CuriosityStream for supporting PBS Digital Studios. Rumble sounds on the African savanna. The matriarch speaks, urging the herd to leave the watering hole. But the message reaches more than her own kin. Other elephants, too far off for the sound to reach their ears, get the message too. 
with their feet. A half hour's march away, a rival matriarch directs her own clan to the watering hole now that she knows it's free. A roving, solitary bull starts to move towards the matriarch's call too, hoping to find a mate. Scientists call this seismic communication. It's how the world's largest land animals keep tabs on each other in a place where eyes and ears aren't always enough. With vocal cords eight times the size of ours, elephants send out two types of sound waves at once. There are the high-frequency ones. Those travel quickly through the air and land on the ear. They only go a short distance, about a mile or so. The second are low-frequency waves. They move through the earth and travel much further, at least five or six miles. When elephants sense one of these low rumbles, they halt and press their heavily padded feet to the ground. That padding, a huge ball of fat called a digital cushion, spreads out as much as 20%. Dozens of touch receptors in the elephant's foot, called Pacinian corpuscles, pick up these vibrations and send a signal to the brain. But hold up. Is that hearing or is it feeling? Well, it turns out the line between those two senses is pretty fuzzy. Scientists think ground vibrations also travel through the elephant's skeleton all the way to the ear. That's how feeling becomes hearing. Caitlin O'Connell researches hearing at Stanford University School of Medicine. In a series of experiments in Namibia, she buried speakers in the ground. Then she played common elephant calls to see what would happen. When this herd hears an alarm call played from an above-ground speaker, it means danger is close. They retreat. But when the same call is played underground, they react more slowly. They grow wary and close ranks, but stay put. When the elephants get the message through their feet only, it means the danger is farther away. Even an elephant's footsteps transmit useful information about its size and whereabouts to other elephants. So if you know how to listen, this dramatic landscape hums with signals and a web of sound holds a whole community together. Curious. Okay. That was a lot of stuff. It's super fucking cool, my friends. But it actually gets even cooler. Caitlin's next project is to take our understanding of elephant seismic communication and bone conduction and use it to help us humans. As reported by KYED.org, by modeling how elephants' inner ear bones respond to seismic sound waves, scientists are hoping to develop new and better hearing aids. Instead of amplifying sound waves solely through the ear canal, these devices would also transmit sound vibrations into a person's jawbone or skull. End quote. Oh my god. Yeah, it's just another goddamn fucking reason to love elephants. After the break, <laughs> we're gonna talk about some old shit. 
literally. Ancient poop from one of, uh, sorry, let's delete, delete, delete. Ancient poop from one creature has solved a genetic mystery surrounding a completely different species. We're gonna dig in. Oh yeah, please stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir de zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. And we're back. We are so back. And my smooth business goose. I am absolutely sure everyone listening now has heard of the woolly mammoth. They're like the first creature you think of when someone says Ice Age. In fact, I don't think a goddamn day goes by without a headline screaming about how researchers are desperately trying to clone and resurrect these things. Back in September of 2022, online publishers from Live Science to Newsweek were reporting that even the CIA is working on it. In sum, people love them some woolly mammoths. But today, my friends, we're going to talk about an Ice Age creature that I believe has lived in the shadow of the mammoth for too long. Oh, you know what? We're actually going to cover two creatures, but I don't want to get ahead of myself again. Uh, My friends, I'd like to begin by introducing you to the European woolly rhinoceros. Yes. Once upon a time, during the Pleistocene era, up until about 10,000 years ago, these particular rhinos roamed northern Europe all the way to eastern Asia, aka Eurasia. And these animals very much shared the land with us early humans. They were food, foe, and an inspiration. Woolly rhinos can be found in countless cave paintings throughout what is now France and Spain. Now, in your mind, if you're picturing a modern rhino with lots of hair, you're not wrong. If you head on over to today's post and on our social media stuffs and scroll through, you're going to come across a full skeleton of the European woolly rhino. And honestly, if I didn't tell you this fossil is from like thousands upon thousands of years ago, you'd think it was a rhino from today. They're extremely similar. Woolly rhinos were about 10 to 12 and a half feet in length with a height of about two meters or six feet at the shoulder and probably weighed in at three tons. They were big. They too were herbivores, uh, wielded two horns, but were covered in two coats, or two kinds of hair. A thin, dense undercoat. My voice cracked there. (laughs) I'm 
doing fine. Okay, two kinds of hair, a thin, dense undercoat and a long, rigid coat covering uh, over that. But, oh my God, I'm so excited about this. My absolutely favorite fun facts about uh, the old woolly rhino are the following, and they're best summed up by the wiki. Okay, get this, quote, woolly rhinoceros, the, the, sorry, I'm just too excited about this. I'll do that again. Quote, woolly rhinoceros remains have been long known before the species was described and were the basis for some mythical creatures. Native peoples of Siberia believe their horns were the claws of a giant bird. A rhinoceros's skull, found in Klagenfurt, Austria, in 1335, was believed to be that of a dragon. In 1590, it was used as the basis for the head on a statue of a lindworm, a mythical creature in northern and central European folklore that traditionally has the shape of a giant serpent monster living deep in the forest. It could also be seen as a sort of dragon. Gotthilf Heinrich von Schubert, or old uh, Gotti Heine, as I like to call him, uh, maintained the belief that the horns were the claws of giant birds and classified the animal under the name Griffiths Antiquat, anti, antiqui, uh, it's Latin for griffin of antiquity. <laughs> However, one of the earliest scientific descriptions of an ancient rhinoceros species was made in 1769 when the naturalist Peter Simon Pallas wrote a report on his expeditions to Siberia where he found a skull and two horns in the permafrost. End quote. So, my legendary business goose, thus, in 1769, began the nonfiction history of the woolly rhino. And I think I know what you may be thinking, smarty pants. Siberia. What the fuck? Siberia is nowhere near Europe or East Asia. Well, you're absolutely right. As scientific progress rolled on from the 1700s into the 1800s and on into the 2000s, it was clear there were probably two distinct populations of woolly rhino. The European and the Siberian, which roamed way the fuck farther north above what is now Russia and whose generations perished and froze in the permafrost. Thanks to natural refrigeration over the eons and the unnatural melting of this layer today, scientists have found a bonanza of skin, hair, muscle, teeth, bone, and DNA belonging to this branch of woolly rhino. In fact, the most recent find was pulled from the Russian Republic of Yakutia by residents in the late 2020. <laughs> they, just, they just pulled it out of the ice. It turns out that was the world's first juvenile Siberian woolly rhino, and the carcass, get this, the carcass was almost 80% intact. According to sciencealert.com, it still had its thick reddish-brown hair, all of its limbs, and most of its internal organs, including its intestines. End quote. Yo, y'all, if you're a paleontologist, that is a fucking gold mine, my friends. Unfortunately, However, this kind of luck is practically non-existent for the European woolly rhino. As reported by Maddie Chapman of IFL Science, several specimens have been recovered, but until now, no genomes of this population have been available. All genomic data has been instead has instead come from the Siberian woolly rhino. 
something that has puzzled researchers. I have no clue why there were no mitogenomes published yet, said Peter Sieber, a molecular biologist at the University of Constance and one of the authors of a study presenting the latest findings. End quote. Yes, my luscious business goose, you heard Maddie and Peter right. Up until like five minutes ago, there have been no mitogenic info on the European rhino. So, what in the holy hell is mitogenic, and what in the holy hell has changed? Don't worry, I've got you. Mitochondrial genomes, or mitogenomes, is the genetic information found inside the mitochondria, what our high school science teachers always refer to as the powerhouse of the cell. This tasty packet of genes is passed on from the mother of an organism, and it's a huge help when tracing ancestry. Thanks to Peter Sieber, or the Siebes, as I like to call him, this massive piece of the European woolly rhino puzzle has finally been found and sequenced. Turns out that DNA was hiding in some poop. Yes. Rhino DNA was found in some really old rock-solid poop, and I really, really, truly want to see a Jurassic Park version of that. Um, just think, just give, just think of the taglines, okay? Work with me. Shit hits the fan this summer. Yeah, I know. I, I liked it too. I'm gonna give email. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna send an email to Spielberg later. Anyway, okay. Let's get back on track. If you're wondering why, in God's name, the Siebes looked here of all places for it, well, it turns out poop is extremely telling. Specifically, the poop of uh, cave hyenas. Yes, you heard me, cave hyenas, who lived for about a million years. Where else but Eurasia? Not only were they about 25% larger than the modern hyena, they were also more powerful and had a stronger bite, said Jean-Marc Elelouf of the Institute of Biology and Technology, Siclay, to Jennifer Walsh, sorry, Jennifer Welsh of LiveScience.com. It was Jean-Marc and colleagues who extracted mitochondrial DNA from the specimens of fossilized dung, or coprolites if you're nasty, from a cave in the French Pyrenees way the fuck back in 2012. Their deep dive into this animal's poop yielded two discoveries. One, that the Eurasian cave hyena is a subspecies and ancestor of the modern spotted hyena. And two, they really loved red deer. Yeah. DNA of an entirely different creature was found in their crap. And uh, this find was probably an inspiration for our seeps. The Eurasian cave hyena lived in the same time and place as the European woolly rhino, so maybe they most likely hunted or at least scavenged them too? If so, we should be able to find its DNA just like the red deer, frozen in time inside a poop pile. Yeah, why not? So, Siebes and the team hitched up their pants and got to looking at two coprolites from different caves in Germany and one coprolite excavated in the 1930s. Yes, someone saved poop from the 1930s. Thank you. Uh, my friends, they hit brown gold. For the first time ever, the mitogenome of the European woolly rhino was able to be pieced together, and it was thanks to these shitty samples. So, 
what did the DNA reveal? Drum roll, please. Thank you in the back. Quote, while the DNA sequences recovered show signs of considerable degradation, the authors believe they may have found evidence of a population split around 450,000 years ago. Despite the condition of the DNA, the European woolly rhinoceros was genetically different from the Siberian rhinoceros." End quote. From IFL and Isaac Schultz of Gizmodo. Holy shit, you fucking have it, my friends. Finally proof that there are two rhino species and evidence of a split. This, however, is merely the first step in unraveling our hairy friend. As the Siebes told Gizmodo, quote, our results come from only one near-complete mitogenome and another very fragmented one, so thus they are only a glimpse. More data is needed for solid conclusions, end quote. Yeah, more solids will be needed for a more solid conclusion. So, <clears throat> watch this uh, crappy space. <laughs> I'm so sorry, I can't help it. Oh God, thank you for listening, rating, subscribing, leaving comments, sharing episodes, sharing social media posts. Thank you for everything. Uh, tell them about elephants. Tell your friends about elephants, elephant feet. For no reason, when it's like really quiet, just bring it up. Or the poop one, when it's really quiet, just bring it up. And a fossilized thanks to the folks over at Airwave Media, the podcast network to which WTI belongs. If you love this show, you love the other podcasts in this family, and please, stay interesting. <laughs>